the subject of loving like Jesus, it's a pretty big one. And the more you look at something like that when you're preparing, you think you realize how much you've got to learn. So to start with, I got a little bit of help from, from children because it was very honest. So Annabelle, if you're able to, to bring the first slide up. So these are examples of children's valentines and I appreciate the, the writing isn't that great and I need my glasses to read it myself. The first one is, Dear Mum and Dad, I love you so much. I loved you when you made me dinner on the 28th of January 2004. Love, Jackson. <laughs> and then I'm going to go to the next one. Valentine's Day is cool. You are too. You can be better, but I like you. <laughs> and finally, this is really hard to read. Dear Ashley, please could you be my girlfriend? I like you a lot. And then there's yes, no, and maybe. And then he says, P.S., could you circle yes, no, or maybe? Um, <laughs> Ashley replies, I'm sorry, I already have a boyfriend, Kyle, but when we break up, you're my next choice. <laughs> and for clarification, P.S., that will probably be a month or two. <laughs> So just in terms of loving like Jesus, I think we can agree that it probably doesn't look like something that happened in 2004, um, is not conditional, um, and is not something that may happen at a future date. But what does loving like Jesus look like? A bit of context. So for those of you who are new with us, we're working through John in 90 days, understanding what it means to be a disciple. And in our first um, talk from Chris, he really helpfully defined that as being a disciple is being with Jesus becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. So chapter 13 marks a, a new part of the, the gospel. So the first 12 chapters are all about Jesus being out in the public sphere. He's, kind of, he's talking to everybody around him, everyone's seeing him doing these miracles. But chapter 13 is the start of five chapters where he just talks to his friends, his close group that have been with him for the three years. And he talks to them and he shares with them a lot of what they're going to come to understand after his resurrection about who he was and why he'd come. The other Gospels make Jesus sharing the bread and wine the central event um, of this evening, but John doesn't record that here. Instead, he leads with this section about washing the disciples' feet that takes place during the meal. The great thing about having four different eyewitness accounts is you get four different views of the same thing. And from Luke chapter 22, verse 24, we know that disciples were fighting about who was the greatest during this evening. So you can imagine the scene. John's all, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. And Peter's, yeah, well, I'm the rock on which he's going to build his church. And they're kind of battling about which of them has got the claim to be the best disciple, kind of like an X factor for disciples. And during that, Jesus just quietly gets up, takes off his outer garment, puts the towel around his waist, and starts washing their feet. And you can picture the scene, like one by one as that's happening, they all stop jabbering on and bickering. Probably Peter last, I'd imagine, but that's me just typecasting. So what's going on? What does Jesus want us to know from this? So Annabelle, forgive the next slide. So the first point I think that we see from this is that loving like Jesus means serving like Jesus. Washing feet wasn't just a servant's job. If you were well off enough to have more than one servant, it was the most junior servant's job. We know that first century Israel, there was not much in the way of public transport apart from the odd donkey. We know there's not any proper sanitation or drainage system, and you walked everywhere in sandals. So you can imagine the state of their feet. 
I don't know if anyone else has washed anybody else's feet. Um, when I was a lot younger, last millennium, um, I did a street mission in Florence, and the people who led the street mission got us, before we went out one day, to wash each other's feet. And I can tell you, it's weird, it's uncomfortable, and it's impossible to feel superior to someone when you're sitting at their feet. But also, it's strangely intimate. You have to be physically close. You can't wash someone's feet from a distance. So what's Jesus saying by doing this? What's he showing us? The disciples, and our natural desire, is wanting to be served, but we are called to serve. In verses 14 to 16, Jesus tells us that that's his way and that we have to imitate him. And that needs humility, as Sue said. If we have the same attitude as Jesus, we can do the most humiliating act of service and not feel devalued. Jesus told us that being God, he took on the nature of a servant. It means thinking more of others than of myself. And it means getting fo the focus off my rights and onto other people's needs. For Jesus, that meant even washing Judas's feet. I loved how Sean pulled out a couple of weeks ago that Jesus was human and, and focused on that humanness. And I think in this context, he must have been thinking, this is my last night before I die, and I've got to wash his feet. <laughs> For Jesus, it meant even going to the cross. I think what John wants us to see, this is an acted parable of what Jesus is about to do for the disciples, what he means when in verse 1 it talks about loving them to the last. The Passover reference in verse 1 would have made John's first readers think of rescue. It was the celebration of God's big rescue of the Jews from slavery in Egypt. Jesus has already told us in the previous chapter that he's going to die, and John pulls out in verse 1, he knew that his hour had come to leave this world and go to the Father. And then the next phrase is, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And he pulls those two things together. What Jesus does on the cross is the ultimate expression of loving his friends. He goes to the cross for them, for us. The words that John uses when he talks about Jesus putting off his outer garment and putting on the servant's towel are different to the usual words for that. He only uses them one other time in the gospel, which is in chapter 10, verses 17 to 18, when he talks about Jesus laying down and taking up his life. So he's really clearly making a parallel for us, telling us what, to, what this is all about. And Jesus' conversation with Peter is clearly not just about washing feet. Jesus makes it clear that this, it symbolizes the cleansing that he'll do on the cross. His friends are already clean because of Jesus dying for them. The seeming humiliation of washing their feet to make them clean is pointing them to his ultimate humiliation of dying on the cross to make us clean from our sin. The suffering servant wins. Jesus makes the point that if he as their teacher and master in verse 14 acts like this, then we will follow his example. John 12, 25, that we looked at last week, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. We find our life in Jesus through serving like Jesus. It's a daily choice. Do we love like him or do we hold back? 
Because loving like Jesus costs. We're not asked to love each other when it's convenient, when we're ready, or even when we like the person. We're called to be living sacrifices and not see our life as our own. And that brings us to the second point. To love like Jesus means knowing that we're loved like Jesus. Jesus knew his value in God's eyes. Verse 3, Jesus knew that God had put all things under his power. In the Greek, that's literally into his hands. And with those hands, he washes their feet and he holds out those hands on the cross. In chapter 519, he'd already told us that he only does what he sees God doing. And this is no exception. The idea that God loves and God serves us, I find, I don't know about you, I find it mind-blowing. But Jesus was secure in his identity and in his purpose. Verse 3 to 4, because he knew he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal and washed their feet. We need to have the same security and value in order to love like Jesus. I joked earlier about John calling himself the disciple who Jesus loved, and I used to think that made John sound a bit full of himself. But really, he's just claiming the promises for himself. When we hear verses like verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, how easy do you find it to think that Jesus wasn't just talking about the disciples, He's talking about you and talking about me. Some of us will struggle with this because we find it hard to accept that God could love us. We hear a sermon about serving like Jesus and we feel that we have to go and do lots of things in order to, out of a sense of guilt or duty or trying to earn God's love. However, we have to start with the truth that God loves us anyway. Our service needs to be in grateful response to God's love, shown to our brothers and sisters because we love them and him. The brilliant American teacher Tim Keller says, your own identity will not be healed until you have heard in one form or another deeper in your soul. You are my child whom I love and with you I'm totally satisfied. From Matthew 3.17. And if we accept God's love for us, God can use our weakness, our brokenness, our pain to help and to encourage those around us as well. Some of us will struggle with this because we aren't thinking of ourselves as the servant. We're still trying to be in control of our lives. We're serving on a part-time consultancy basis. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be wise. If we're serving so much that we're burned out, grumpy, and really resenting people, we've got the balance wrong. We're not serving from love. We're serving from our own strength or need. However, we are the servants, and he's the master. Are we living our lives in service to him, or have we got our focus distracted onto something else? If we understand God's love for us, we can pass that that love on through whatever service we're called to. You may be someone who's serving in the shadows. You're doing something hard and you feel that nobody sees you. Firstly, God sees you and God will reward you for it. But secondly, I think this passage is telling us that there shouldn't be anyone like that in a church family. Are we looking out for those who are serving out of sight? Are we aware of the circumstances of our brothers and sisters? We should be. It isn't just Sean's job or Sharon's job. 
is all of our responsibility as family. So loving like Jesus is showing people we belong to Jesus. Verse 34 told us, by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Verse 34 is not a choice, it's a command. It's how the world will see that we follow Jesus if we follow his life of service to one another. He says it's a new command. I kind of think in what sense? He kind of, he's already told them that to love God and to love their neighbors themselves. But it's new in that Jesus is telling the disciples to love their fellow Christians and the quality of that love to one another in service will witness to the fact that we belong to him. I find this really challenging. When was the last time that I called up someone in the church family who was going through hard times? When was the last time that I babysat for someone who never gets out or visits an older person who's lonely? Can anyone watching me tell that I am following Jesus from how I love you? In an individualistic society, our love for one another should be a radical point of difference. Rather than living isolated lives that are focused on ourselves, people should see something different in us. Our love for each other should be something that translates into action. The things that we do for each other should make, make people question why we're doing them. For example, when Lucy was unwell last year, the fact we didn't have to cook a meal for ourselves for three months, um, thanks to you, um, showed people around us what church family looked like. So it's not an introverted thing. Our love for one another is a witness to everyone around us. And that's the measure that people will use to see if our life stacks up with our words. Does Christianity look something a little bit strange but attractive, or do we look like everybody else and we're a bit fake? So summarize that all together. Loving like Jesus means we have to serve one another sacrificially like Jesus did. We can only do it if we know God's love for us. But that love we have for one another is our witness to the world. I wanted to share a story with you before the end. It's from the, the Larsh community. I don't know how many of you know, but the Larsh community was set up in the 70s and it has able-bodied people living with people with um, learning disabilities. Now, I hesitate to share this with you because some of you have seen headlines the last month or so that the founder kind of, well, using headlines for not good reasons, but I wanted to share it anyway because this story to me summarizes what I think this passage tells us. So the story is about a woman called Claudia. In 1975, we welcomed Claudia into our Larsh community in Suyapa in Honduras. She was seven years old and had spent practically her whole life in a dismal, overcrowded asylum. Claudia was blind, fearful of relationships, filled with inner pain. Technically speaking, she was autistic. Everything and everyone frightened her. She screamed day and night and seemed totally mad. Overwhelmed by insecurity, her personality appeared to be disintegrating. 20 years later, I revisited the community and I met Claudia again. She was by then a 28-year-old woman, still blind, still autistic, but at peace, and able to do many things in the community. She still liked being alone, but she was clearly not lonely. She would often sing to herself and there's a constant smile on her face. One day I was sitting opposite her at lunch and said, Claudia, can I ask you a question? Why are you so happy? And her answer is simple and direct, Dios, God. As Claudia began to trust that she was loved, not only by the community, 
but by God, it became easier for her to love herself, easier to believe that she could grow in love and service to God and to others, and that she too could give her life to others. Thus she gradually found a meaning in her life. She too had come from God, a God of love, and was going to God. The journey through life became meaningful through love. So just to finish, look to the left. Some of you don't know your left. <laughs> and then look to the right. This is who Jesus is calling you to love and to serve. Church only works as it should when we love as we're commanded. So could we finish by reading, um, and if I just pull it last slide. Um, this is the message version of John 34 and 35 in chapter 13. So if we could read this together to finish. So, let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciple when you see the love we have for each other.